We began this year with a word outpouring that 2008 is a year of spiritual and material outpouring. We didn't, we didn't necessarily know everything that we were going to get into. But we just knew God saying, this year is a year of outpouring. And then we began to see things happen. And uh, we are now just moving into that and positioning ourselves to welcome a revival, to welcome an outpouring, to welcome a season of visitation from heaven. Amen. If you're excited, say amen. If you're not, just don't say anything. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've been just talking along those lines and looking at the Word of God along those lines on revival and outpouring. And, and, uh, uh, and uh, throughout this last week, we've been talking about what it means to be in the presence of God and uh, just, just to experience the presence of God. So this morning, I want to talk about a church in revival. What would church look like when revival happens? Amen. You know, we all pray, say, God, send revival, send outpouring, send visitation. We all pray, but I think we need to be ready for it. Be prepared when it does show up at the door. Be prepared for revival when it does show up. Be prepared for the outpouring of God. So I want to talk about a church in revival. What would a church look like? What would church life be like? What would happen to you and me when we are in the midst of revival, when there's a heavenly outpouring, there's a spiritual visitation of God? What will church look like? Amen. One thing, it won't look like this to begin with. Church won't be church as we know of it. You know, I go to church 10.30, I wait till Pastor Summer is over, I can sleep through parts of it, and go home. Church won't be church as we know it. It's going to be different when there's a visitation, when God begins to move. And so this morning, I just want to talk about, just cast a vision, give us a picture of what church life would be when there is a move of God. And we are moving into that. We are moving into a season of visitation from God and I want to spend time here in the first eight chapters of the book of Acts. It's just pick up some of the high points from the church in Jerusalem. And revival broke out when there was an outpouring. And there was a heavenly visitation in Jerusalem. And coinciding with that visitation was the birth of the very first church. The Jerusalem church. The church in Jerusalem. And so we can look at that and, and learn. Glean some learning from revival. And what a church life, what church life would look like. When we are in the middle of an outpouring, in the middle of a visitation from heaven, are you ready for this? Amen? Get ready. Now, what are the precursors to revival? What really were the preparation that the people in Jerusalem went, went through before they, can really, they could step into the outpouring and the visitation from heaven? Jesus has to had told and instructed his disciples, says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem because there's an outpouring coming. There's an outpouring coming, wait there. He gave them a location, he told them, just wait. And here's the precursor to the revival of the outpouring. In Acts 1 verse 14, it says, These all, the 120 of them, they continued with one accord. Everybody say one accord. They continued with one accord. And in prayer and supplication. So two high points, one accord, being of one mind. They continued with one accord. Not only did they begin with one accord and then they didn't just break up and just you know, go their separate ways. They continued in one accord. Amen. So unity, being together, one mind, one purpose, 
pushing towards the same thing, moving towards the same thing, is an important prerequisite for us to come under the outpouring of God. Amen. Being a one accord, being united in an atmosphere where there is unity, there will be an outpouring. God commands His blessing. There's the anointing that flows down like it flew, went down Aaron's beard. Which means that you and I as a precursor, as a preparatory process of getting into the outpouring, you and I must work, endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Of just keeping this common purpose before us. That we are hungry for God and we want more of God. That's our common purpose. Amen. We are tired of church. Tell your neighbor, I'm just tired of this church. I'm tired of church, sorry. Just tell your I'm tired of church. I want more of God. Amen. I mean, what's the point if we spend next 50 years coming to church two hours every Sunday, sit and listen and wonderful message, you know, I feel good. I've, been, uh, I've increased my knowledge of God, but I've really not experienced the God whom I'm getting to know. These are two different things. You can grow, grow, grow in your knowledge of God, but if your experience of God is not there, then what's the point? Christianity is just not based on knowledge. Christianity is an experience with God. Amen. So we, we need to say, God, we are in a common purpose. We want more of you, God. And we're all together in that pursuit. We want more of you. You've got to be careful of selfish ambition, suspicion, competition. Let's just shut the door to all these things as we pursue this common purpose in one accord. Because if there's selfish ambition, it leads to suspicion. If suspicion will lead to competition, and competition will bring division. So we shut the doors to all this. No place, no entrance to these things because we are united. We are of one accord with one purpose. We want more of God. We are tired of church. Amen. And there was prayer and supplication. They continued in prayer and supplication. More prayer, more supplication, intercession. They're just doing that. Being united, one accord, prayer and supplication, precursors to an outpouring of God. And so we move into the second chapter of the book of Acts. I'm just hitting the main points uh, to help us understand what church would look like in the middle of an outpouring. So on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 1 to 4, on the day of Pentecost, there is the outpouring. It says, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with one accord. See, they were continuing with, with, with the unity of purpose. They were one accord in one place. And suddenly, everybody says suddenly. You know, I'm waiting for this suddenly. Amen. One of these days, as we continue in one place with one accord, suddenly, suddenly, the heavens open and God releases the rain upon us. Suddenly. Amen. Just tell your neighbor, I'm waiting for the suddenly. But till then, we have to continue with one accord, in one place, seeking God. Amen. And then suddenly, there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind and cloven tongues of fire. There appeared uh, cloven divided tongues of fire. It sat on each of them and they were all filled by the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues and the Spirit gave them utterance. So this was it. The outpourings begun. The rains falling, we're getting drenched. This is what Jesus told us would happen. It's begun. Now, it was the day of Pentecost, which means thousands of Jews. And there's no telling how many. Um, historians say the count would have gone into hundreds of thousands of Jewish people who all flocked into Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of the Passover. 
And here something phenomenal happens among the 120 people. And they are now praying out loud in tongues. And, and there's a whole crowd of people, you know, maybe 10 people gathered first. And they said, you know, we're hearing strange sounds coming from the upper room. And uh, they started peeping in and they said, hey, these guys are doing strange things. They are speaking in strange tongues. They are, they're talking about all kinds of things. And so the news spread and sure enough, soon enough, there was a big crowd of people standing outside and they're here seeing all these people praying in tongues uh, and magnifying God. So Peter feels he needs to explain something uh, to the crowd. So Peter stands up and in verse 16 he says, this is that. Everybody say, this is that. So Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he is quoting from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And, and this is what Peter quotes. He says, you know, in the last, prophet Joel said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Everybody say prophesy. Your young men will see visions, say visions. Your old men will dream dreams, say dreams. He says, you know, and all my servants and my handmaidens, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And he goes on to quote the rest of Joel. Now, what did Peter say? He said, this is that. But the problem is, if you and I look at it, this is not that. Why? Because Joel said, your men will see visions. They will have dreams and they'll prophesy. What were these guys doing? No visions, no dreams, no prophesying. What was there? A sound of a rushing mighty wind, tongues of fire, and speaking in tongues. This is not that. So the point I want us to get across is this, that many times when we analyze scripture, we don't find this is that. But God says this is that. And if God says, this is that, it means this is that. Amen. You know, one of the courses I teach is hermeneutics, how to interpret scripture. Be very careful, study the Greek, study, I mean, study the history, study the culture, do this, do that, do this, do that. So if I apply hermeneutics to this is that, this is not that. Because sound of a rushing mighty wind, Joel didn't talk about it. Tongues of fire, Joel didn't say it'll happen. Speaking in tongues, Joel didn't say it'll happen. So you don't have what Joel said will happen. But the Holy Spirit is saying, this is that. There are two important deductions I want us to make here. Number one is this, that God is bigger than His words. Amen. We try to fit God into His word. God doesn't fit into His word. God doesn't fit into the book He wrote. God is bigger than the book He wrote. The book He wrote describes a small piece of an infinite God. Are you listening? Now, God will never contradict His Word. He will always stay true to what He has revealed. He will not contradict it. But He is infinitely bigger than it. Amen? So sometimes when we use that analysis to study the Scriptures, this doesn't mean that, but God says this is that. Because when Joel talked about the work of the Spirit, he was not giving an exhaustive list of all the works of the Spirit. He was giving a representative list of visions, prophecy and dreams and what took place on the day of Pentecost was the work of the Spirit but some other works sound of a rushing mighty wind tongues of fire and speaking in tongues they were still the works of the Spirit so this is that amen so it tells us that in revival we must walk with wisdom and revelation everybody say wisdom and revelation 
We need both. Sometimes we only walk with wisdom, we don't walk with revelation. What do you mean? We, you know, we, we know all the history, we study all the Hebrew and the Greek and the scriptures. We know what is the right thing, but we don't have a revelation of what is the now thing of God. Are you understanding me? So we have the right thing, which is the wineskin. The now thing is the new wine. If your wineskin cannot contain the new wine, you won't receive the new wine. We need wisdom we need revelation. What has God said? We must know it. What is the right thing? We must know it. But we must also be open to say, what is God saying now? The revelation, the now word. The, the now word definitely will never contradict the given words. It won't contradict it, but we must have the now words to understand what God is doing. Are you listening? Are you understanding? Wisdom and revelation. The second important deduction I want to make here is this, that no two revivals are identical. No two revivals are identical. It's a visitation of God. It's a move of God. It's an outpouring of God. But no two revivals are identical. There may be similarities, but they're not identical. Amen. And God says, it's an outpouring. God says, it's a visitation. But you say, it doesn't look like exactly like that. Yes, it doesn't look exactly like that because no two revivals, no two outpourings are identical, but there is similarity. So we can study history of revivals. We can learn lessons. We can glean uh, patterns of revival, but we can't put God in a box and say, this is how revival must happen. Are you listening? But it's a revival. God says, this is that. It's an outpouring. So we must be very sensitive as we are progressing in an outpouring of God, in a visitation of God. While we have wisdom, we must always be open to revelation. What is God wanting to do amongst, amongst us now? What is God leading us into as a church? What is God desiring for the city, this city? It may, it's not a carbon copy of what he did in Wales or over there or over there. It's brand new. Amen? We have the wisdom, but we must be walking with the revelation of the now word. So in Acts chapter 2, a church is born, Acts 2, 41. Overnight, without no prior warning, a church of 3,000 people comes alive. And uh, many times I try to imagine, you know, how, what it must have been, what would it have felt to be in the shoes of the apostles? They didn't graduate from seminary. They had no instruction on church management, church growth principles, Nothing. And overnight, they have 3,000 people in the congregation. What would it have felt like? No planning, no strategy, no prior instruction, no model to follow. No G12, cell groups, nothing. And a church of 3,000 people overnight. A church is born in a moment. No strategy, nothing. Now, I'm not diminishing the importance of learning and planning and strategy. I'm not diminishing that. What I'm trying to impress on our hearts is, hey, if God does something unexpectedly, let's just go with it. Amen? God doesn't always have to come through our planning. God doesn't always have to come through our nice strategizing. God doesn't always have to. Now, we plan, we strategize. God's given us wisdom, we use it. But God doesn't always have to come through that. If He's going to do something unexpectedly, let's go with it. And I think as educated people, you know, we are so used to using our brains. That's a big struggle for all of us. Amen? If you don't want to say amen, it's okay. You won't get offended. All right. So now let's talk about the church in revival. I have 11 points here. Goodbye. 
but I'll just go through them quickly. What do we see about the church in Jerusalem in the middle of an outpouring, in the middle of revival? I'll just hit upon the main points here. and uh, You can read the entire you know, first eight chapters to see what happened. We see, first of all, that they continued daily with what the Lord was releasing in their midst. Acts 2.42. It says, they continued steadfastly in fellowship and doctrine and teaching and the breaking of bread and the Lord's table and prayers. Verse 46 says they continued in praising God and having favor with people. And Acts 5.42 says daily in the temple and house for house, they were teaching the word, they are fellowshipping, etc. So all of a sudden, the, these people who planned to come for one day trip to Jerusalem suddenly got themselves into something that is, is, is happening every day. It's like all of us, you know, I thought if I go to all people's church, I can just go there on Sunday morning, and maybe once in two weeks I go to cell groups and attend this, you know, we have L08, Glow, EWM, whatever. Very quiet life, I've got everything planned out. Perfect. But in the middle of revival, something happens every day. Amen. And they are continuing daily in what the Lord is doing in their midst. They're flowing with it on a daily basis, not a once in seven days thing. Amen. They're continuing daily in what, what the Lord is releasing them. It's number two. And it's very easy to deduct that therefore their schedules are radically affected. In revival, our schedules are affected. Amen. Just gets a little messy. So come on, join in the mess with us. Amen. And now these people, they plan, they must have booked their ticket. You know, Saturday morning, I'm just making this up. Saturday morning, I will be there in Jerusalem. You know, do the Feast of the Pentecost. Sunday evening, I'll take the train back to my place. Monday morning, I'll show up at work. And they didn't know what they were getting into. They come to Jerusalem. There's a mighty outpouring. Their lives are touched. 3,000 people are saved. And 3,000 people's schedules go for toss. It's gone. Forget it. Because now, morning, I'm going to where are you going? Oh, I'm going. Something is drawing me. I need to be in the temple praising God. Evening, where are you going? I'm going to this house meeting. I've got to praise God. I've got to seek God. Schedule change. I'm not saying don't go to work tomorrow morning. <laughs> what I am saying is things happen that change, alter our schedule. Amen? And we come into this knowing that, hey, we are in a season with God's moving amongst us. I am willing to readjust my schedule to go after what God wants to release. Amen. You know, many of us, we pray, I want revival God. Lord, send an outpouring God. Lord, give us a visitation God. And when God does show up and affects a schedule, we say, sorry God, I can't fit you in. So we're not ready to receive an answer for our prayer. Are we? Number three, as, uh, now, uh, as, as, the, as the church was moving in this outpouring, in this visitation, we see that there was a deep sense of community, of sharing together. All of a sudden, they were having lunch together. They were having dinners together. They were carpooling through the rain. You know, they're traveling from Koromangla to UTC. And all of these things are happening. People they didn't know, they were driving within the car. Somebody else would give them a lift. There was a whole sense of community taking place among these people. Amen. The Bible says they had all things in common. They began to share things. So what does revival do? It really builds community amongst us. You begin to share. There's a spontaneity to your giving, to your helping, to your togetherness. Revival brings that into our lives. Number four, we see a rapid growth of the church. Acts 2.47 says, Daily 
people were being added. We don't know how many. It could be 100, it could be 200, it could be 10, I don't know. But daily people are being added. Wow. Wouldn't we like that happen? Amen? You know, now we like, you know, once in six months, you know, 10 extra, 10 more, 20 more, like that. But in revival, it says daily people were being added to the church. It's an amazing thing. Acts 3 and verse 4 says that uh, as a result of the healing of the lame man, 2,000 more were added in one day. 2,000, one day. I mean, just think of it, 2,000, one day, joining the church, coming in. So we're going to be part of what God is doing. Explosive growth. Five, we see that notable miracles cause continued growth of the church. Notable miracles began to happen. There are many miracles, but only the notable ones are recorded for us. There was a lame man who was healed, lame for 40 years. He was healed in Acts, the third chapter. And as a result, as I said, 2,000 people added to the Lord. They were, there was Peter's shadow as he was walking by. You know, people were coming from far and wide to just allow the shadow of Peter to fall on them so they could be healed. Notable miracles were taking place. Amen. So in the midst of revival, that's what's going to happen amongst us. Notable miracles will take place. Thank God for the headache that's healed, for the cough and the cold that goes, and, you know, the little pain that goes. But hey, notable miracles. Amen will begin to take place in the middle of revival. But all of this, number six, attracts persecution. A church in revival attracts persecution. When we are in the middle of an outpouring, when we are in the middle of a visitation, for some reason, it does attract persecution. Amen. So we got to think twice now. Do we really want an outpouring? Acts 4, 7 and 18 tells us that Peter and John were taken in by the Sanhedrin and threatened not to preach in the name of Jesus. Acts 5, 17 through 18 says the apostles were put in prison in the jail. Acts 7, Stephen was stoned to death. So we can expect in the middle of an outpouring, increased persecution. Amen. It's not uncommon. Just this morning I was talking to uh, someone from our South Church. At the end of the message he came and said, he said, you know, just last week he was in a meeting in, uh, uh, forget the place, I think it was Hubli and some other place. Uh, he, he was in Bellari and while in the meeting they faced persecution sorry that was two days ago and uh, last week uh, uh, early part of last week there was another case in hopefully and so persecutions taking place and revival visitation outpouring is only going to increase that but how did the apostles respond acts 4 19 to 20 says you know they say hey you judge whether it's important for us to obey god or man we can obey god it's far better Acts 5, 41 says, you know, they counted it an honor to suffer for the name of Jesus. They didn't say, you know, we'll tell God to shut the heavens or we'll tell God to make it a drizzle now. No, they said, we don't care. We're going with what God is doing. We're going to obey God. And we are happy. We counted an honor to suffer for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. See, I think all of us have lived a very comfortable Christian life, or at least most of us. We hardly see any persecution. I mean, it might be that little thing that your, you know, your colleague doesn't talk to you or he doesn't take you out for lunch or he stops bringing you coffee. I mean, you say, whoa, I'm suffering persecution in the office. <laughs> I'm being persecuted for my faith. I mean, I think we haven't seen anything. But if we say, God, we want revival. If we say, God, we want an outpouring. We want a visitation. There will be increased persecution as this church experienced in Jerusalem. Seven, we see that there is strong judgment for sin. You know, in an atmosphere of a revival, there is abundance of grace and 
miracles and gifts and all of that released among the people of God, we also see there's a quicker judgment for sin. Because, you know, how many of us drop dead when we lie? You know, you won't be here. <laughs> it doesn't happen. You know, today in church, we lie and steal and nobody drops dead. It shows us we're not in revival. But in the middle of revival, in the middle of a visitation, in the middle of an outpouring, Ananias and Sapphira just lied and did a small adjustment to their contribution to the church. And they dropped dead. That's severe. Amen. So let's meet after service to decide whether we should ask God for an outpouring or not. No, just joking. I lost count here. The next one is this. There is supernatural demonstrations and angelic visitations. We talked about an open heaven last night and what an open heaven means. And, and here's what the early church experienced. Uh, apart from healings and miracles, what did they experience? It's Acts 431. It says a place was shaken. It wasn't just a tremor on the ground, but a place where they were meeting was shaken. Imagine being in a prayer meeting and you feel the building go. But nothing's falling, but you know the building's shaking. The place was shaken. They had angelic visitations. Acts 5, 9 and 21, it says that the uh, angel came and uh, brought the apostles out of prison. Acts 8, 26 tells us that the angel uh, instructs Philip to go into the desert. So angelic activity, angelic ministries on the rise in the middle of an outpouring, in the middle of a visitation. Last three. In the middle of an outpouring, a visitation, the church is not devoid of internal problems. Now sometimes we have the wrong impression that uh, because there's a mighty visitation of God, there's a mighty outpouring of God, revival is happening, there will be no problems. Contrary to that, the church in Jerusalem experienced problems. Acts 6 talks, tells us about the first issue they had to deal with where there was a dispute among the widows. Some were Greek-speaking widows and some were Hebrew-speaking widows. And uh, each one felt that they were not being treated fairly when it came to the distribution of food. And so there was a dispute. But the apostles rose up with the wisdom of God. They brought resolution to the problem. The point is this, that even in the middle of an outpouring, even in the middle of a visitation, even in the middle of a revival, there might be internal problems. And we have to address them with the wisdom of God. Not be afraid. And the other thing that we see very notable is this, that the leaders decided that they must give themselves continually to the ministry of the word and to prayer. That is, they said, you know, we must focus on what's really important. Amen? Meaning the leaders zeroed in on what's important, what they should do to provide leadership for the revival. That's, their, that's what they have to do at that point. And not just get caught up in the nitty-gritties of, you know, who gets a chicken piece with the biryani and who doesn't get. Amen? And this is an important lesson. You know, last night I told that, you know, we do not want to elevate leaders. Revival must not be centered around our man or our ministry. But yet at the same time, on the other hand, we must, uh, we must uh, understand the importance of leadership for revival. That leaders must take their place, be responsible, and focus in on what God wants them to do. So that the outpouring can only be uh, extended and only be... Uh, uh, increased and not diminished. One of the sad things about the Welsh revival, we've talked about it in the, in, in, in the recent days, uh, Evan Roberts was one of the key leaders of the revival. In fact, he came right up into prominence uh, at the height of the revival. Uh, and uh, something unfortunate happened. Uh, he was moved suddenly out of that position of leadership. Two reasons are cited. The first one, the reason that is com people commonly say is that he suffered burnouts. But the family that he stayed with gave this reason. That some people came and told him, Evan, that 
there is too much prominence being given to you. God is not happy with it, so step down. And Evan Roberts believed that he voluntarily gave up his position of responsibility for that revival, and he totally just overnight he just went out of it, out of that position of leadership. And what happened? The revival just declines, and you don't hear about him ministering the rest of his life. A very sad end to a man whom God used to birth the Welsh revival. The fires of revival spread all around the world. So leadership for revival is very important. While we do not want to elevate leadership and magnify leadership, we must understand that as leaders, those who are in leadership for revival, it's so important to stay focused, uh, keep yourself from being burnt out, and at the same time, be in charge because you're accountable to God for what He's releasing on earth. Last two. What we see in the book of Acts later on as things progress is this, everybody starts flowing in the miraculous. Soon we start hearing about Stephen. We start hearing about Philip, through whom mighty signs and wonders are being released. Amen. I firmly believe that what God wants is to see every person here healing the sick, casting out devils, raising the dead in the name of Jesus Christ. He wants to see this whole church and God's people in this city invade the streets of the city with manifesting the glory of God through signs, wonders, and miracles. Amen. And that is what God wants to bring the church into. That's what He wants to see in the city. Every believer manifesting mighty signs and wonders out on the streets, wherever the people are, wherever their needs are. And that's what will happen in the middle of a revival and outpouring of God. You and I will be carrying the glory of God out into the streets into the marketplace where people are. Amen? And lastly, what we see of, about a church in revival is this, that the revival fire spreads. It took 12 years. For some reason, it took 12 years in Jerusalem. For 12 years, the revival was contained in Jerusalem. But then Acts 9 says, because of the, Acts, um, Acts 8, because of the persecution, people were scattered, but they carried the fires of revival wherever they went. People went into Samaria. Samaria was set on fire. Some went into Antioch. Antioch was set on fire. Other parts of Judea, they're all set on fire by just ordinary believers who were in the middle of revival who then went around and spread the fires of revival. Amen. So I believe that each one of us will become revival carriers, carriers of the revival fire, that you and I will begin to carry an outpouring of God. You know, it, uh, it may or may not be persecution that moves you out from here. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's uh, a, a transfer in your job. Maybe, uh, you know, whatever. There could be several reasons why you move out from Bangalore City. But when you go, you will carry the outpouring of God, carry the fires of God, and go set other parts of the world on fire. Amen. That's a church in revival. How many of us would like to be in the middle of that? Amen. All right, the others are going to think about it. <laughs> to be a church in revival, in the middle of what God is doing, it's going to affect our daily lives. It's going to affect our church life as we know it. But hey, it's worth everything. Amen. Because if our city is going to change, it's, it really requires our visitation of God. If our city is going to be impacted, it does mean that we must have more than what we have today. Why? Just look at history. Look at the last, I don't know, 10 years if you wish. There have been many churches. There have been many believers in our city. And thank God for the growth uh, the, the body of Christ has seen in the city of Bangalore. Thank God for the increase. Thank God for what we have seen. I'm not saying we have not seen it. But think about the number of people who do not yet know Jesus Christ in our city. 
It's in the millions. Amen. If we are going to impact our city, we must have an outpouring. We must have a visitation of God. We must have more of God than what we are walking in today. And it means that you and I must press into that. Amen. Are you willing to do that? Tell your neighbor, I'm tired of church. I need more of God.